Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. Every employee in Ireland has a right to dignity at work. However, to the actions of a colleague, manager, or even an employer, this may be compromised, for example, by bullying, harassment or otherwise. Therefore, effectively and carefully dealing with these cases when they do arise is an area of huge importance for HR teams and organizations. And to talk to us a bit more about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined again by Laura Barry, Head of HR Services here at Inside HR. How are you, Laura? Welcome back. Hi, Owen. Thank you. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. Good to have you back, Laura. Thanks, Mary. Good to be back. Brilliant. So we kick off with yourself, Mary, first. So I suppose kind of setting the scene for us, what do we mean by dignity at work? It sounds like a bit of a kind of a catch-all term, but there's obviously a definition to it. We say there's obviously a definition to it, but actually there isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you look at dignity at work, I think I'm going to get a bit, a bit um, you know, philosophical here around the whole area because as a concept it's deep-rooted and dates right back to centuries of philosophical and sociological research and you have um, classical sociologists and political theorists like Max Weber and Karl Marx and Emile Durkheim all talking about dignity at work believe it or not. Um, And so it has deep roots in sociology sociology and in management, um, but its description is really loosely covered. Um, And when we look at workplace dignity and how it is actually defined, um, it is very much an individual's perception about respect and trust. Uh, about equal treatment, um, the valuation of one's worth, um, fair treatment, autonomy, freedom of expression, and decision-making enjoyed by an employee in a place of work. Um, And employees have their own understanding of the concept, but there is no universal definition for it. So when we talk about dignity at work, and this is where I think an awful lot of people get confused. When we talk about dignity at work, we're typically talking about policies and procedures. Uh, What's in the staff handbook? We're talking about bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, but they're simply just um, names that we put on sets of behaviours. But fundamentally, when we talk about dignity at work, we're talking about an individual's perception. Perfect. And I suppose for yourself, Laura, then we talk about the kind of the concept of it there and the obligations, the rights and, and that kind of thing. But what are, I suppose, the rights and obligations of the employee when it comes to things like dignity at work? 
Yeah, um, I suppose on the employee rights and obligations, uh, that, that is, it's a really important question and, and one that all employers and employees need to be very cognizant of. Um, every employee has a duty to behave in an acceptable and respectful manner. Um, going back to your question to Mary and, and what do we mean by, by dignity at work, I suppose if we were to consider the word dignity in its, in its simplest form, first and foremost, what comes to my mind own is respect. So treating others how we like to be treated ourselves, basic professional manners and conduct. Um, dignity at work own, it's an absolute must. It's a basic need, a, ba a basic requirement. It's the principle of maintaining a healthy, a safe and an enjoyable place to go. Um, and for those of us owned at work full time, we spend more time with our work colleagues and in the workplace than we do in our home environment at times, don't we? Um, and I know the landscape is changing now with hybrid and remote working, but still a significant amount of time is attached to the workplace. So whether that's our, our own headspace attached to it or our physical presence, um, we spend a lot of time there. And that's certainly a scary fact for some. But whether you're you're the CEO or a board member, a line manager, um, the communications manager owner, wherever you sit in that organizational chart, you are responsible for promoting and practicing respect, dignity, safety, and equality in the workplace. And you know, that applies to whether you're permanent, you're fixed term, full-time, part-time, um, working under a contract of employment or through through an agency. And I think it's important to say that um, as well, irrespective of length of service. So, so no exceptions or allowances should be given. Um, it, it, it's, it's funny, Owen, I recall in, in my earlier days when first coming out of college, being in a role and each week um, I needed to access a particular file on the desk of, of a manager. Um, each time I went in to request it, it was basically shoved across the desk towards me and shoved as mildly put in it. Nothing said but a mere grunt and I suppose a frustrated look on that particular individual's face. Um, and it's not that you expect to be to be greeted or with, with bells and whistles all of the time, but I suppose common courtesy should prevail here. I left, left that room always saying thank you and, and, and never once got a response. Um, was this employee bullying me? No. Was I being harassed? No. But did I feel I was being treated with dignity and respect? Absolutely not. Um, so there is an obligation on all employees to fully endorse a working environment free from discrimination, free from bullying, harassment and sexual harassment or any other form of, of inappropriate behaviour. And I suppose I, I know often defining bullying or dignity at work, it can it can be an elusive challenge, can't it? But there's a particular code of conduct, a particular level of professionalism, which, which is a necessity. And again, I suppose and often I, I find that employers or employees that don't practice that that school of thought are the are the ones that complaints arise with allegations being being brought against them, where you'll see morale in that team being affected, high turnover rates of people leaving and so on. Um, but to further expand on employees' obligations, on just even considering that simple example that I gave, um, every employee should have a strong preventative focus and discourage bullying and harassment by objecting to 
inappropriate behavior. If I were to give advice to my younger self um, now going into that room requesting that particular file, instead of tiptoeing in and almost shivering with the thoughts of, of asking for something, if it made me feel that way, I'd be advising my younger self to try to declare it direct, directly um, and professionally to that particular person. And I know that that's not always an easy thing to do, um, in particular when you're dealing with with an individual with with a, you know a horrendous attitude that over time may have led to something more substantial and I suppose repeated inappropriate behaviour. So all employees have the right to make a complaint, and that complaint is made um, in good faith, whereby the person genuinely feels aggrieved. And again, this would be outlined within the company policies, the internal mechanisms for dealing with and addressing complaints. Um, of such nature and employees will be governed by the, the general principles of, of natural justice. Um, but just lastly, Owen, going back to your question again about the rights and obligations, under the Health and Safety Act, employees are obligated to take reasonable care to protect their own safety, their own health and, and their welfare and the safety, health and welfare of another person who may be affected by the employee's acts or omissions of work. Um, and as well as that, um, or not to engage in improper co conduct or other behaviour that, you know, is likely to endanger a person's own safety, their health and their welfare at work or that of any other persons. So, you know, em employees should be encouraged to inform a manager or a supervisor, cooperate with their employer or any other person so far as, as is necessary when dealing with or addressing a complaint um, in order to promote a, a positive workplace free from, from bullying. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's my whistle stop overview on of the rights uh, and obligations of uh, of employees. So thanks. Sorry. Yeah, that's brilliant to get, I suppose, the kind of overview of those those, um, I suppose, key parts of it. And I think one thing that jumped out to me there was actually the example you gave of your own situation, your own experience. And I know Mary Laura, her example there was the example she gave wasn't a case that I suppose undermined dignity at work. But what are some of the things that would undermine dignity at work in, in your kind of view of it? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that the example that Laura gave wasn't an example of undermining of dignity at work, because clearly that person was not respectful to Laura in their interactions with Laura. And, you know, there is an argument that that could as an isolated instant or maybe even a repeated instant um, undermine her dignity at work. But you've got to remember when it comes to bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, and they're typically what we talk about when it comes to undermining someone's dignity at work. With bullying, it's got to be repeated, inappropriate behavior which is specifically targeted at an individual um, it's nasty by its nature um, and deliberately um, setting out to undermine someone's dignity at work so the example that Laura gave may be repeated may be inappropriate was it targeted uh, was it you know um, directly going to have Laura feeling like she was being bullied again that would in large part come down to Laura's own perception of what is actually happening um, and say there were other incidents on top of something like that so maybe if there was cursing uh, at Laura 
directly at Laura, maybe if there was an unfair workload um, from this manager, maybe if there was a lot of criticism and unfair criticism of the work in which that she was doing, um, you might then be able to say that the behaviours were bullying and the repeated um, lack of respect shown was in effect bullying. But the bully, there's a high bar when it comes to proving that mm-hmm. um, and for individuals who make formal complaints about bullying or harassment or sexual harassment um, we always have to be conscious that it's their perception of what's happening um, and whether that's perceived or actual is generally going to be decided upon by the employer through workplace investigation. But as Laura said, you know, if you come into the workplace respectful and mindful of other people, then you're unlikely ever to find yourself in a position where somebody is pointing the finger at you and accusing you of something. And remember, bullying, harassment and sexual harassment are all entirely different things. And when it comes to harassment, the behaviours which are inappropriate are targeted at people because they're a member of one of the nine protected grounds and a single incident of inappropriate behavior in that regard can be considered harassment whereas with bullying you've got to demonstrate that it was repeated inappropriate and targeted and and nasty behavior which was capable of wholly undermining somebody's dignity and then when it comes to sexual harassment again a single incident of um, sexual harassment um, can be enough to have it considered sexual harassment. And that can be anything from patting, petting, touching, pinching, rubbing your body off another person. It can be lewd comments. It can be crude jokes. It can be the display of um, lewd or crude images in the workplace. Uh, It can be one-off comments. So they're entirely different things, but they're all encompassed under this heading of dignity at work. Um, And as I said, at the earliest uh, part of this podcast, that comes back down to individual perception. And if we look at, you know, your ideas around what's acceptable behavior for you in the workplace, um, then that kind of informs how careful people need to be about their behaviors at work. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and then I suppose, Laura, is there any kind of outstanding kind of legislation in this area? I know there's obviously a lot of, a lot to it, but is there any kind of legislation, codes of practice that kind of overarches this? Yeah, Owen, um, when when dealing with, with dignity at work, um, certainly for employers and employees, there are a number of, of background documents and relevant legislation there to, to, to guide us. Um, and the ones I regularly refer to and, and I'm aware of when, when devising policies um, for clients or piecing together a workshop or a training session um, is mainly, as I said earlier, the, the Safety, Health and Welfare at Work Act. So there are certain provisions within that act um, that stipulate both employer and employee obligations at work. 
and of particular relevance to the issue of workplace bullying, um, both directly and, um, I suppose, indirectly. Um, there is also a section within that act that empowers the, the Health and Safety Authority to prepare and to publish codes of practice with respect to safety, health and welfare at work for the purposes um, of providing practical guidance to employers and to employees. Uh, so I suppose with, with that in mind, Owen, then you have the code of practice for employers and employees on the prevention and resolution of bullying at work. Um, and that was jointly published uh, by the Health and Safety Authority and the Workplace Relations Commission. Um, and as we know, it came into effect back in 2020, which is a review of the respective code of practice on, on bullying in the workplace. That code reiterates the long-standing definition of workplace bullying, um, describes what constitutes and does not constitute to bullying, um, outlines the merit and the value of a contact support person, the complaints procedure, and it also gives a guide on how to prepare an anti-bullying policy. Um, but more recently then, Owen, you have the Code of Practice on Sexual Harassment and Harassment at Work 2022. And that particular code has been prepared by the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission after a consultation with relevant organisations representing equality interests. Um, and that code is intended to promote the development and implementation of policies and procedures uh, that establish working environments free of harassment in which the dignity of everyone is respected. So it's a very practical guide on for employees, for employers, trade unions um, on preventative measures in addition to interventions to deal with um, employment related sexual harassment and harassment. Um, I also refer to the Employment Equality Act on when looking at this whole area and certainly when defining what is harassment and sexual harassment, who is covered and so on. So they're the key pieces of legislation owned that I, uh, I, I refer to. Brilliant. And I think obviously, Mary, a lot of these issues, we've, we've kind of gone through a lot of them there. And I suppose even the definition itself for dignity of work is something that's kind of, as you said, it's, it's been founded well long before any of us were here so it's obviously it's a, it's an important thing but it's obviously a challenge for hr teams as well so how should hr teams deal with complaints like this i suppose how can they how should they uh, deal with the complaints relating to, to dignity work taking them seriously first is is key on and i think it's a really important question that you ask um because you know, the leadership team, the executive team, the board uh, establishes the tone and the standard of behavior that it expects from its employees. And when uh, people deviate from that, deviate from the normal behaviors that are expected of them in the workplace, then generally these issues will be addressed through the dignity at work policy in the first place whereby somebody makes a formal complaint and the complaint is assessed usually by the uh, manager who attempts to resolve it informally but depending on the nature of the complaint um, that may not be appropriate and sometimes in sexual harassment cases for instance it really isn't appropriate to try and resolve them informally and you're always going the the formal route or by and large you're going the formal route whereas alleged bullying you may attempt 
to resolve informally in, in the first instance, but always from a HR perspective, you know, you have, there has to be a bit of a sense check in terms of, you know, what is somebody actually alleging? It is so important that it is taken seriously. The worst thing that you can do in HR is, um, you know, I suppose, think of the person as a troublemaker. And so often that happens, that the person who's making a complaint, uh, particularly if it's, um, you know, addressing members of the management team or the senior team or the leadership team, it can be really, really challenging. And it's important that someone doesn't become an enemy of the organization because they've made a complaint really all efforts need to be in addressing that complaint. You know, what's written is simply an allegation. It is not a fact until the conclusion of a disciplinary process, not even the investigation, it's the conclusion of the disciplinary process. So imagine if you're unable to resolve a complaint under the dignity at work policy informally so you're not able to do it through mediation you're not able to do it through a facilitated meeting you're not able to do it from uh, some other informal mechanism um, and you have no option but to go down an investigation route then that investigation needs to be carried out by somebody who knows what they're doing, who has the appropriate training and knowledge around bullying, harassment and sexual harassment. Um, the investigation needs to start with the terms of reference, which should be drafted by the organisation, sent to the relevant employees uh, and agreed upon before the investigation even starts. Whether you're carrying out an investigation internally or externally, um, you know, that will need to be conducted fairly, objectively, in an unbiased way. Um, and sometimes those investigations can take many months. The longest I think that we've uh, been involved in running an investigation for it inside HR has been one year. Um, and, you know, there have been a number of delays for various reasons, not ever because of inside HR, but because of maybe the involvement of third parties like solicitors or barristers or trade union representatives or the unwillingness of individuals to participate in the investigation and challenges that the organization has to address internally in relation to people's availability, people's willingness to participate, uh, any disciplinary issues that might arise. But they are complex things that can go wrong. Um, and, you know, there's nothing like being accused of bullying, harassment, sexual harassment to uh, involve third parties. Because certainly if I was accused of something like that myself, I would be taking every step to protect my name, my reputation, uh, my job. And uh, from a HR perspective, we really do need to think about that. You know, what can we do to resolve it early, quickly? And um, if we can't do that, let's get on with resolving it formally through the investigation. At the end of the investigation, the HR department or the designated manager will be provided with a 
report and that report will inform the next steps is there further action to be taken on foot of that report and further action may well be going back to mediation and looking to mediate between the parties and rebuild a relationship between them so that might be one step that comes out of um, a, a report on bullying harassment or sexual harassment or it may involve going through uh, the discipline procedure for an individual and whether that's uh, for making a malicious or vexatious complaint or whether that's for uh, behavior or conduct that the organization feels is inappropriate uh, that may well be the next step of the process and at the end of that the organization will make a decision about whether or not they believe bullying, sexual harassment or harassment occurred and not before that point. Um, and remember, then usually with the investigation, there's the right to appeal the investigation before you ever get to the discipline procedure. And often, um, you know, people will invoke that at that point because of their concerns about being accused of something that maybe they feel they have no case to answer. And then finally, at the um, depending on the decision that the organization makes around bullying, harassment or sexual harassment and whether or not it occurred, somebody may also appeal that decision. And we talked last week, myself and Liam Barton and, and you own about that record award uh, that was made against a software firm in Ireland for dismissing somebody who was accused of bullying and the WRC um, is saying that the treatment of that individual was ultimately unfair and the dismissal that arose from that was ultimately unfair. So there's a high bar. Um, and I would always say to HR teams, if you know what you're doing, do it carry it out internally. If you don't know what you're doing and you don't have people trained internally, you know, you'd really be wise to outsource that uh, investigation rather than outsource the appeal. And, um, you know, really internally you want to have control over the appeal if you can at all. Often or sometimes that's not the case and you have to outsource that too. But um, in my view, the best bit to outsource is the investigation and try and handle the appeal internally so that the decision making ultimately rests with the organization rather than an outsourced third party when it comes to appeal. But that being said, we've done many appeals um, we've done many investigations um, and there is a high bar and there's, you know, a, a lot of money at stake for organizations when they get it wrong. Definitely. And there's so much to it. I mean, I think a couple of things that jumped out to me there, obviously the complexity of it. I mean, a lot of the issues you raised there, probably all valid reasons in their different ways, but they just naturally go with complex things like this. So I think another message we always say on this podcast, Laura, is prevention is better than cure. So I suppose the final, probably most important question for yourself, Laura, is how can employers ensure that kind of they're protecting everyone's right to dignity at work? I assume it's there's things like leadership, there's things like culture, there's things like yeah. policies. I assume little bits on their own won't work so it's probably a combination of everything or really isn't it 100 joan um you're absolutely right preventative measures and actions really need to be thought through 
Um, and yeah, there are a combination of things. I I, I agree. Um, I feel it starts with with having a positive culture within within the organisation good leadership, strong leadership, leading by example and being vocal about what is acceptable and, and what is not. And, and not afraid to challenge poor behaviour and, um, you know, using the, the, the proper protocols. But I think an environment that has that negative culture is toxic and, and highly contagious. Um, if you're to think even of the, the, the saying monkey sees, monkey does, if you were in an environment that endorses any type of poor behaviour or treatment of people, it can be very, very difficult in that environment and it almost becomes acceptable and the standard and um, the standard required. So a culture of involvement, uh, you're right, uh, consultation, proper flows of communication, um, training of staff on effective dignity at work policies, um, training staff on acceptable behaviour or conduct. I also think appropriate training is required as well for the people, as Mary said, responsible for managing complaints and for line management. And once it's, it's fully explained, um, generally it gives greater confidence and the necessary knowledge that's needed. Um, but, but, but absolutely any uncertainty, um, I think um, investigations, it is wise to, to, to outsource if, if necessary. Um, contact support person, a lot of value in appointing a contact person who acts as the first uh, step for anyone inquiring about a possible bullying case. Um, and where organisations have this, it often helps to resolve matters earlier um, and more effectively as well. So the role as a contact support person is to be that supportive person, um, a listening ear and to offer guidance and options um, in line with the company's policy on a strictly confidential basis. Um, not always own is it an option for organisations to have that contact support person but if this is the route that they decide to take, that selected person must be trained and carefully selected. Um, so that person will have no role in the investigation of any of the campaigns and wouldn't be tasked uh, with any further involvement in the details or, or, or the rights or wrongs of, of that particular complaint. Um, they are just that listening ear and supportive person. So, yeah, absolutely, own. there are a combination of preventative measures and actions um, that, that, that need to be in place. Like we said, it's as we say, it's complex, and a lot of these things can be quite emotive. As well. So it is great to get that advice from from both Mary and Laura. So we do really, really appreciate the time, and thank you both for a, a very insightful discussion on that such a deep rooted topic. So hopefully that really did help people. Thank you, obviously, to everyone else for listening. We will catch you next week for the next episode of our podcast. And so if you haven't done it yet, don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. We'll try to put in some of those codes of practice and things in there for you to, to refer to. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at InsideHR.ie. Thank you, Laura, and thank you, Mary. Thanks, Owen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, 
or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.